So good morning. morning. Oh, that wasn't very good at all. Let's try that again, huh? Good morning. morning. That's a little better. Uh, Welcome to Cultivate. We are talking about God today. Um, (laughs) Very nonspecific, right? Um, And yet we have a lot to say about it, so I'm really looking forward to it. We are uh, right now starting out. Last week we started um, kind of the beginning of a a new series, but it's a little bit different because it was our launch week. And so really what we're talking about is what we believe we are here to do as a church. And so we outlined that last week if you were here. Um, And uh, if you're, especially if you're new and something that you heard for the first time, uh, I hope that it's settling in. And uh, if it's not, or if you have questions, or you'd like a little bit more information, then afterwards with the lunch is a great place to ask those kinds of questions uh, to hopefully get a few answers. And it's really just kind of a low-key, easygoing conversation um, that we get to have afterwards. We're going to keep it to about an hour so that you can get to you know, a football game going on later on that you might, may or may not be interested in. Um, <laughs> uh, because obviously last week we talked that there was a lot of football fans here. So... Um, we, uh, we want to respect that in every way. Um, and you'll stop listening to me, to be honest, if I, if I don't respect that. So. so what we're doing now, as we've uh, transitioned from last week to this week, is that we are continuing a series called Something to Believe in. And over the next eight weeks, what we're doing is outlining for all of us the core beliefs of our church. So over the summer... Um, myself, uh, Pete Burroughs, Fred Mesrol worked very hard to put together our core statement of beliefs, the things that we hold to dearly as a church that give us direction, that give us life, the things that we believe to the core of our beings. We hold these things in what I would say is a closed hand. And so there are many other things that we may believe or talk about as a church that are convictions that we might hold with an open hand, and we can dialogue about those things But the things that we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks, we feel with everything that's within us are the core things that we need to believe as a church. And they're not just things that we believe and put on a page or put on our website and uh, let them gather dust. They really do impact everything that we do as a church. And hopefully they impact everything that you believe in life and that they will work their way out into the way that you live your life and parent your kids, and relate to your spouse, and live and breathe in this world. That's what we're trying to accomplish, is to talk about those very things. Um, one of the things that we've uh, started to talk about a little bit is, um, is the fact that we're going on to an online community called The City, uh, something that we're in the, the middle of sort of test phasing with our leaders and a few of our service groups uh, and life groups have started to use this uh, tool a little bit online in order to connect with one another and help us uh, accomplish our mission as a church. We're going to be kind of stepping up over the next few weeks to try to get everybody involved. And one of the ways that we want to do that is by using that tool to talk about what we're talking about on Sunday morning. And so if you're involved in a life group, you're probably going to be talking about these things already because your topic for that week will be based on Sunday morning. But we're also going to be sharing some of the things that we talk about on Sunday on the city. And we'll have an opportunity to dialogue about those things and talk about actually how they impact life and relationships and all the things that we experience. Um, So I'm I'm excited for us to do that. My goal really throughout this whole thing is 
is to try to speak as plainly as I can, as understandably as I can, about what we believe and why it matters. And so the goal isn't necessarily for you to hear something new, although for many of you this may be something entirely new that you've never heard before. And so I want to try to explain it for all of us in a way that we can all understand and grab a hold of and it helps us to live our lives differently. Uh, Because we really do think that the things that we're talking about over the next eight weeks are life-giving, life-changing, big truths with a capital T that as we cling to them as a church, as we cling to them as individuals, they will change the way that we live. It really does matter what we believe. And so these are our somethings, right? Everybody believes something, and these are ours. Um, So I want to start out with a quote. There's a a guy named Donald Miller. He wrote um, a a book, a few of them, but one of my favorites is a book called Blue Like Jazz. And uh, as his kind of first mainstream book, one of my very, very favorites. And uh, he says this, Dying for something is easy because it's associated with glory. Living for something is the hard thing. Living for something extends beyond fashion, glory, or recognition. We live for what we believe. So have you ever heard somebody say, I just, I'm living for my kids? Anybody ever hear something like that? Anyone say, ever hear, I'm just, I'm living for the weekend? <laughs> yes? How about I'm living for retirement? I'm just putting in my hours in order to get to retirement. See, th- those kinds of statements have an indication in terms of what we believe. If we say, I'm living for my kids, and we believe that our existence is based on our relationship to our children, which is all fine and good until those children grow up and move out of the house, and then what are we living for? We can live for the weekend, correct? But then when Sunday night comes, it's back to Monday morning, and I need to slog through another week, another five days of my ordinary, everyday life to get to the weekend where I can really live again. Those statements indicate something about what we believe, don't we? And we live for what we believe. And so if we say, I, I live for my weekend, then we believe that certain time is better than other time, and we live our lives in the margins rather than in the actual hours that we've been given. Same thing for retirement. If I'm living my life so that I don't have to work anymore, so I can get to that date when all that stuff stops and I can just relax for once, Um, then the time that I'm putting in today doesn't count, really, does it? It doesn't add up to what actually matters. So what we say and what we believe really does impact the way that we live our lives. And more often than not, our beliefs are what give us the motivation to continue to live life. So like I said with the kids, if our kids are our motivation, then they can motivate us while they're at home, But if they start misbehaving, if they rebel against us, if they move out of the house and are no longer connected with us, now my motivation for living has come down one step, hasn't it? The things that we believe motivate us to continue to live life. So when we talk about the core beliefs of Cultivate Church, we don't just mean stagnant words on a page or a website, never to be looked at again, collecting dust, things that don't really impact the way that we live our lives. We're talking about what gives us, as a church and as people, the the individual motivation to go and live our lives. And so 
We're going to be talking about eight big statements that we've crafted. And so, as Pete alluded to, the first one is God. And so that sounds very general, so let's get a little bit more specific. The first of our eight core beliefs here at Cultivate Church is this. God is the creator and ruler of the universe. He has eternally existed in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are co-equal and are one God. Let me say this. If you haven't been around Christian circles for a long time, what I've said is a little bit like Charlie Brown's teacher to you. Wah, 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 wah. What in the world does that mean? Right? <laughs> and so let me back up a little bit and, and kind of work our way through this to talk about what it actually means and why it matters. And uh, I'll start out by asking this question. Who has ever played a slot machine before? Don't lie to me now. <laughs> yeah. Who has ever, in playing a slot machine, said to yourself, man, I really love this slot machine? <laughs> Even more honesty. How many of you have gone home after a trip, maybe to Atlantic City, and thought about that slot machine and what it did for your life? We're getting a little bit more absurd now, right? How many of you get up every Monday morning and say, man, if I can just get through my day, I can go and spend time with that slot machine? <laughs> Even more absurd, right? Um, the reason that I use this is because we don't often love slot machines. Uh, and if we do, they're based on two different things. Either they're based on the thrill of the unknown that a slot machine gives us in the actual act of playing, or we love the outcome that it gives us when we get what we desire. Correct? There's only two reasons that people play slot machines. Either they want something from it, or they enjoy the thrill of the unknown. You don't go to a slot machine because it cares about you, correct? <laughs> At least I haven't. Maybe I'm just not that much of a player that I... I I don't know that. Um, for me, if I'm going to be honest with you this morning, my experience with God early on in my life was a lot like seeing God like a slot machine. It, it was very much like understanding God in heaven with a big handle on him, and if I just pulled the handle enough times, I'd get what I want, maybe. If I just pumped enough quarters in over time, then the outcome might go in my way, right? Um, I think a lot of us tend to see God this way. We may not admit it to ourselves, uh, but it's a very common understanding of the way that we view God. And it was certainly true of me. And I remember one point in my life specifically that kind of brings that belief to a head. And I remember late on in my high school career, so I'm, I'm now getting ready for college, I'm about to graduate from high school, and things are starting not to go my way. And specifically... Uh, I'm kind of in the middle of a breakup with a girlfriend that I've been with for about three years. And it's not going well. And I can see the writing on the wall, right? Up until that time, my life has been pretty good. I've gotten involved in sports, done pretty well in school, you know, had pretty good luck in terms of relationships. Uh, and yet, now suddenly, I can see there are cracks forming in the foundation, some of the things that I hold to dearest are starting to pull away from me. 
How do you think I engaged God at that point? I had a bucket full of quarters ready to throw in as many as I could, trying to pull, you know, I I will do favors until I'm 50, God. Just please let the handle come up right. Let there be those three sevens. If only you would do this one thing for me, God, I would be eternally grateful. What am I really saying to God? I don't really care about you other than the fact that you can give me what you can give me. I have a desired outcome. I want that outcome with everything that's within me, and I'm willing to give you homage so long as I have the opportunity to get what the outcome is that I desire. Correct? Let me ask you this. Imagine for a second that you're in your car, that you are driving to a coffee shop, all right? So picture this in your mind. You're in the car, you're by yourself, you're driving to a coffee shop, uh, you know the way to get there. The person that you're going to meet is God. So you're making your way there. As you get closer and closer and closer to the coffee shop, what is going on in your mind? What emotions are starting to bubble up inside of you? Are you angry? Are you resentful? Are you a little bit afraid of the person that you're about to meet and what he might say? Do you have a list of things, your desired outcomes that you're hoping that you can pump into the machine and get the outcome that you want? What's going on in your mind? Are you worried about how he'll receive you? Are you excited to meet him in person? (laughs) Not on the way home, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's she's picking up the slack in terms of of Kenny not being here. Okay, good, good, good. As long as you guys work that out ahead of time. See, 10 years ago, if I'm on the way to that coffee shop, I'm writing a list in my mind of all the things that I want to ask him. I don't really care about going to meet with him. I don't care about the person of who he is. I just have a list of things that I want, and I know he's the guy to go to to get him. And so as I'm driving there, this is what's going through my mind. I think it's a good indication, though, of how we view God because it forces us to have to see him in a very relational way. It forces us to make a person of him, if you will, rather than just this impersonal being. Today, I see him very, very differently than I did then. Very, very differently. Everything has changed, and it has a lot to do with what we're talking about today and how we understand who God is and what he does. So, uh, that is the reason that our statements are so important, correct? Because they impact us in the way that we live. So, I want to talk about how we got our first core belief and uh, what the Bible has to say to describe the God that we claim to serve. And so if, uh, if you're taking notes, what we're going to start with and really take the bulk of our time with is to talk about God as he is, is a trinity. Um, and so th- that word is a very um, complex word to understand. You're not going to find it in your Bible if you're paging through, um, but it's a word... That, uh, that was developed by people within the church very early on to describe an experience that people were having of God and the way they wrote about him in the Bible. 
So it's a non-biblical term to describe a biblical concept. And the Trinity really means tri-unity. It, it, tri meaning three, unity meaning one, and it's trying to piece together those two things in a way that fits and makes sense. And I'll make an admission very, right from the very beginning. This is extremely difficult to understand. Okay? There have been people throughout the 2,000-year history of the church that have been trying over and over, writing volumes on what it is to know the Trinity, understand the Trinity, and relate to the Trinity as we know him as God. And so we're not going to answer all the questions this morning, not even close. Um, But what we want to do is kind of get some handles on what we mean by that word and why it impacts the way that we do church. And it's really, uh, this term is trying its best, its very best attempt to rectify three equally true statements. And so we're going to tell you what those statements are. Um, Those three statements are this. There is only one true God. That's statement number one. There's only one true God. The second is this. The Father, Son, and Spirit are equally God. And the third is this. That the Father, Son, and Spirit, though God, are distinct persons. Christians have these three experiences, and we see them all throughout Scripture. And so what the church has been trying to do by talking about the Trinity is to come up with a way that these three statements make sense with one another, that they aren't in tension with each other, but actually complement one another. And so we're going to go through and kind of explain each of these and what they mean. The first one, there is only one true God, comes out of the Jewish understanding that there is one God. Um, in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. The Lord is one. Some translations will say the Lord is alone, that there is no other God. One of the, the great things that Judaism gave the world was monotheism. Before that time, most peoples, in terms of their understanding of God, had multiple gods that governed different areas of life. And Judaism said, no, our God, we have one God over everything. We submit to him. He is all in all. He is one. And so that understanding permeated not just Judaism, but Christianity, which rose out of the Jewish religion. And so Christians automatically had this understanding because most of the early Christians were Jewish. That was their heritage. That was their faith that they had come from. And so they're wrestling with this understanding of there being one God. But it doesn't end there. So the second statement says the Father, Son, and Spirit are equally and simultaneously God. One of the best places to see this is in Jesus' commissioning of his people. In Matthew 28, 19, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here we see that Jesus is commissioning his church with the three names of three people who are all working together for one mission. So he says, when you go and tell people about this new faith that I founded, I want you to do that and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All working together, all equally God, all divine. But it doesn't end there, right? Because we need to understand that they aren't just different modes of God. It's not just that they're different manifestations of God, which some sort of sects of Christianity believe that 
that there was once the Father, and then the Father became the Son, and then the Son became the Spirit. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that each of those beings existed eternally. That's the way that we put it in the statement. And so we have um, this phrase, that though they're one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, are distinct persons. And the best place that we can see that is in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Paul, the apostle, is ending his letter to the Corinthian church, and he's giving them a farewell. It's very interesting how he chooses to do that. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Those are the last words he says to this church. And here you see that there is Father, Son, and Spirit existing in one moment of time, each providing something unique to their distinct person and personality. The love of God, the grace of Jesus, and fellowship with co- which comes through the Spirit. Each of them have a different role, a different function, and Paul is presenting all three of those to the Corinthians, saying each of these are necessary for you to know God and to be part of his church. And so it's not just the fact that there was once the Father, then the Son, then the Spirit in order. Each of them exists eternally, forever, and provides different functions for his church. And so it's impossible to know God without knowing the God of love. It's absolutely impossible. You can't say, I I know Jesus, I want to be cool with Jesus, Jesus is everything, but I'm not so cool with the Father. It doesn't work that way. You need to love and know the God of love, the Father who provides that love. But it's not enough just to be general about who God is and say, I'm cool with the Father, but Jesus, he's a little weird, to be honest. You know? He's walking on water. He's telling people to love their enemies. I just don't quite get him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with the Father. We're going to be cool with the Father. Jesus can kind of do his own thing and be, you know, the God of the hippies or whatever. And, and I'm going to be here with the Father. It doesn't work that way either because it says grace comes through Jesus. So you can't know the love of, of the Father without Jesus providing the grace of God into your life. And you can't know either of those things apart from the weirdest one of all, which is the Holy Spirit, right? Um, We need the fellowship, the partnership of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that provides. He is the vehicle which God uses to bring his love and his grace into your life. And so you can't say, I'm good with the Father and Jesus, but not the Spirit character. He's a little too out there for me. You need all three working together. That's what he's saying. We have one God, Father, Son, and Spirit are all equally God, and yet each are distinct in what they provide for us. And so the the Christians, the early Christians, were left with a very interesting question, weren't they? How in the world can God be both one and three at the same time? How does that work, right? To be honest, it was all experiential. They had experienced God the Father, they had experienced Jesus. Some of them had walked with him, talked with him, talked with him. You know, he, he's telling them he's, he's God in the flesh. And now they have this experience that they're being empowered by the Spirit to speak in tongues and have power and do all these different things and, and tell people about Jesus in a way that they had never done before. They experience all these things happening at one time. And they say, how are we going to put these together? Because we know that God is one, and yet we experience them three different ways. 
so the, the answer to that kind of came um, a few centuries after Jesus um, in an official way, something called the Council of Constantinople, which happened in 381 AD. Um, and uh, I'll try to illustrate what it is that they were talking about. They, they knew that there was one God, right? So we'll start with that reality. There is one God, there is no other. But yet they had this experience of three different people in their Christian lives. One of those was the Father. One was the Son. And one was the Spirit. And so the way that they decided that they were going to rectify these three things is that each of them are God. Each is God. That's the only conclusion that you can come to if you honestly read your Bible. Yet the other conclusion that they came to is that one is not, in fact, the other. So the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. So this kind of became the diagram in terms of how to understand it. The entire thing functions together somehow. Let me be honest with you. If anyone tells you they know how, they are lying. <laughs> Flat out lying. We use a lot of stories, pictures, ways to try and understand this reality in a way that we can grab onto. All of those are incomplete pictures of what the reality is. The fact of the matter is, God is God, we are not. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so whatever the heck he came up with, it works for him. <laughs> and we choose to know him in this way. Because it's our experience. It's the way that we know God. So, uh, let me say this. You're probably asking yourself, okay, Jay, thanks for the headache. <laughs> what, are the, you know, what does this all mean? Um, why in the world are we taking time to talk about this? What does this have to do with my life? And the answer really is everything. Every, it has everything to do with your life and mine. Everything. I'll put it this way. Imagine your spouse comes to you. You've known your spouse for years and years and years. You've dated for a long time. You've been in relationship with them. You've raised kids together. You, you've known them, let's say, for 20 years. You think you know everything about them, inside and out. You just know this person. And yet one day, your spouse comes to you and says, look, we need to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk. There's some things that we need to discuss. Um, and there's something I want you to know about me, and it's very near and dear to my heart that you don't know. It's something I've tried to tell you before in the past, but you just haven't gotten it. And I've tried and tried, and it really matters both to me and to our relationship that you understand this. But it isn't the easiest thing to understand. And so I'm asking you, will you listen? Will you listen? Will you let me share with you this very and very important aspect of who I am, something that can make a big difference in the quality of the relationship that we have? If your spouse came to you and said that, would you be listening? 
Okay, if the Eagles game weren't on, would you be listening? <laughs> it would get my attention. What I think God would say to us is something very similar. There's something about me, and I've tried to tell you, but you haven't gotten it. It's difficult to understand, to be sure, but it matters. And I really care that you see the difference in what this makes for me and how you see me and how we relate together. This matters in terms of how I do my work and how I I relate to you and how I've made you. I've tried to tell you about this in my word, but you haven't seen the beauty and the wonder of what I've tried to tell you. Will you listen? Will you listen? So what I'd like to do is to outline three applicational elements of what it means to know God as a trinity. I'm going to try to get real basic, okay, and, and, and really to help us understand what it means for us to know God in this type of way and why it matters. There are a lot more, okay? And so we may discuss many of those things in life group that I don't get to here today. But I wanted to start with three. Okay, and the first one is this. You are made in the image and likeness of a triune God. You're made in the image and likeness of a triune God. You say, what in the world does that mean? Right from the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all creatures that move along the ground. What's peculiar about this phrase? Let us make man in our image. Yeah. Why doesn't he say my image? Yeah. <laughs> You're doing good at this heckling stuff. <laughs> Most theologians would say it's because God is, in a very primitive way, revealing himself as three persons, as more than one. And we are made in the image of a God who is plural, not singular. And so that God may be one. He is one in essence. He is one in God. There is no other God. He is God alone. And yet he is God in three persons who have existed eternally, and we are made in the image of that God. Can you think of some of the applications here that I might draw to you? You see where I'm going with this? For me, it means you can't, I can't exist singularly in this life. I am made in the image of a God who is in community forever past till forever future. And when I try to live my life alone, I'm doing it outside of the design of God. I can't live that way. I need to be in close communication, connection, relationship with other people if this whole thing is going to work. Because if God has designed himself that way, if he exists that way, and yet I think I can exist individually, I'm sorely mistaken. Not only that, but I'm different, right? Because not only are those three individuals God, but they are distinct people. They each have individual characteristics and personality And all the things that we think of as being inherent traits of people. So have you ever been in a crowded room with people and you thought, I am not like anyone here? Some of you may have thought that this morning walking in. You're like, 
I don't know what people drank this morning, but I am not like these guys, right? Part of the reality is that you were designed differently. And so the things that we often try to cover over in our lives to minimize differences, to, to equalize the, le- the playing field and make everything vanilla, God didn't design you that way. He made you with individual personality and traits and characteristics and loves and desires and wants and needs because you were designed uniquely based on distinction, not uniformity. God wants you to be different. He's designed you for your difference to make a difference in the whole. And so we're all together as a church, all different, all unique, and yet working towards the same purpose. That's God's design. It's his design. Second thing is this. Not only are you made in the image and likeness of a triune God, you were created out of the overflow of God's eternal love. This is the most profound for me. This is what you need to know. If you don't walk away with anything other than this this morning, then I will be happy. If you get this, you get everything. It says this in Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you were created, for you created sorry, from from the perspective of a person, you created my inmost being, talking to God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How wonderful is that? All the days of my life are ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. How How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Let me ask this. What is the story that you tell kids when they ask how they were born? Not like the PG-13 one, but the G-rated version. (laughs) We're like, oh no, he went there. What's the story that you tell? Somebody tell me. Yeah, exactly. Mommy and Daddy loved one another so much that we we couldn't contain that love with ourselves, and you were born out of that love. Now, there's a lot of details there you don't share with a, you know. <laughs> Let's not get graphic with them. But just because it's simplified, does that make it not true? No. It's absolutely true. It's true in the truest sense of being true. The two people love each other so much that that love cannot be contained with two. It had to make three. Let me say this. Many of you think that you were created because God wanted something from you. That is not the case. The reason the Trinity is so important for me and for you is because you and I were created out of the overflow of God's love that could not be contained any longer with three. It had to make four and five and six and 10,000 and 10 million and six billion. That is why you were created. God could not contain within himself any longer the love that he had between Father, Son, and Spirit that it had to pour out from that unity, that tri-unity, onto the rest of creation. And God spoke and creation existed. And that is why. You see why it's important for us to understand that God is a trinity? Very, very important. I think of it kind of like this. I... One of my favorite drinks is chocolate milk. Anybody like chocolate milk? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chocolate milk. <laughs> it's not just for 12-year-olds, I tell you. <laughs> What do you do with chocolate milk? <laughs> well, yeah, of course. <laughs> Prior to that, though, unless you get it already mixed up, you have to do something to it, right? You mix it up. So you, you take your milk, and some, if you really like chocolate milk, it's a big glass, you know? It's like, and, and you, you dump all the chocolate milk that it can hold in it, or all the chocolate syrup, and then you take the biggest spoon you can find, and you start whipping that thing up, you know? And you're stirring, and you're stirring. And if you really love chocolate milk a lot, then... You can get a little overzealous, right? And the milk starts to pour out the sides, does it not? Maybe you never had this before. <laughs> this is a weird example. <laughs> God loves you that much that the milk just couldn't be contained within the cup any longer. It had to pour out onto the counter, onto the floor, spill out all over you. <laughs> Try getting that image out of your head later on. <laughs> There's a third application I want to talk about, and that is this. We, we are never more like God than when we submit to one another. L- let me explain this a little bit, because it sounds a little different than the other two. But one of the implications of the Trinity is that we are never more like him than when we submit to one another. Jesus, in one of the, the prime examples of his love for his Father and for us, is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's about to be crucified, a horrendous death, to to suffer and die on a cross for a crime that he didn't commit. And he's laboring in agony in this garden, crying out to his father, asking his father to take away what's about to happen. And he says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Think about this. God in the flesh, right? This is Jesus. He is equally, we've already talked about this, equal to God in every sense of the word. He has all the traits, all the divinity, everything that there is to have to be God. Jesus is all of that. He is equal in every way with the Father. And yet based on the mission that he was sent to earth for, He willingly submits to the Father. He willingly says, not my will, but yours be done. You sent me here for a mission, and so I will submit in every way to you and accept the punishment that I don't deserve because it will purchase for you a people unto yourself that are sanctified by my blood. And so when we relate to one another, we are never more like him than when we say to somebody else, not my will, but yours be done. When we relate to other people in love and we say to them, I, I value you more than I value being right. And so we can relate together and I can submit to you and you can submit to me. It's a mutual thing. That reality is based on an understanding of God as a trinity and us being born in his image. We are never more like him than when we submit to one another in love. It says that Jesus, though being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing and submitted himself to death on a cross. That is a very, very powerful image. So I got to say, over time, in about 10 years' time, my understanding of the way that God works 
has changed drastically. And the way that I relate to him has been impacted eternally. And I no longer see him as the slot machine God. I see him as the triune God in in whose image I am made. And so this affects everything. It affects my marriage. It affects the way that I lead. It affects the way that I relate to people. It, It affects the way that I parent my kids. Enormous, enormous implications. And we can talk about those throughout the week. One of the things I want us to understand, though, is to imagine what the reality of the Trinity means for us as a church. This is very, very important. Because it impacts the way that we live and the way that we do our mission here. And there are three elements to this that I want to talk about. There's an upward, inward, and outward. And so for God being a Trinity, what that means for Cultivate Church is that our mission is to receive and to give Trinitarian love to one another. You know, there are at least 67 times throughout the New Testament alone where the word one another is given in a command. It says to love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, submit to one another. All these one another's, if we were to live in isolation, we would never fulfill any of them. We would be ignoring a large section of the Bible. Why is it so important? Because God is who he is, and he's created us to be like him. And in order to be like him, we need to relate to one another in that kind of Trinitarian love. There's an upward element to this, too, because our goal isn't just to bring people in. Our goal is to draw closer and closer into community with others in order to live out those commands. We need to be able to understand them and to live them in relationship with other people. And we have an outward goal, too, don't we? Because the love that's contained here cannot stay here if it is anything of a Trinitarian type of love. If this church is being remade and modeled into the image and likeness of God, then the boundaries of what happens here will ever be expanding, expanding, expanding. We cannot keep it to ourselves. If we do, it is not the love of God. It is our type of love, not his type of love. Knowing God as a trinity helps me to put in perspective what we do as a church. So, let's look at our core belief again. Maybe with some new eyes, and hopefully it won't sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Um, But here it is again. God is the creator and ruler of the universe. He has eternally existed in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are co-equal and are one God. Hallelujah for that. That is a good reality. And it impacts the way that we live forever. Each week, what I want to do is is end on a story from someone here at Cultivate. Um, so it's, you know, it's not enough for you to hear them from me. You can always throw out what I say. But if there are a number of people that are saying the same thing, then maybe, you know, as a church, we're more likely to grab hold of it and understand it for ourselves. And so what we're going to do each week is have something that we're going to call real-life stories of belief. We're going to show a video clip of somebody from the church who lives their life differently based on the belief that we're talking about each and every week. Sound good? So the first one's Fred. Thanks, Fred, for volunteering and, uh, and kicking us off. <laughs> uh, 
I told him on Tuesday that I'd love to have a video. It was, it was to be honest, it was his idea. Um, and so, <laughs> being that it was his idea, I didn't feel so bad asking him to nominate. <laughs> I said it'd be really nice if, you know, if uh, somebody who I'm talking to would volunteer and do the verse one. And so he graciously agreed. <laughs> so I want you to hear from Fred and how the Trinity impacts his life, and then we're going to pray. We believe in the Trinity. We believe that God exists in three persons in perfect harmony in community. But how does that change or affect or have anything to do with how I live my life? I'll tell you what it's done for me. In my early days as a Christian, I would go to church hour, hour and a half, and I would be in that larger sense of community. If I wasn't in a life group, and I didn't experience that close sense of intimacy uh, that would come from believing in the Trinity, from believing that since I'm made in the image of God, that I should be experiencing community like that. And I didn't experience that. But since I've been in a life group for many years now, and I have those relationships built up my entire Christian life, and Christian experience and walk has completely changed. The Bible says that there's a lot of one another's in the Bible. Love one another, there's bear one another's burdens, hold each other accountable. There's a lot of things that the Bible tells us to do that we can't do if we're not in a community like that. In fact, Jesus said that people would know that we were his disciples because our love for one another. And if we're not in close, intimate community like that, we can't show that love for one another. Others can't see that. So that's how believing in the Trinity has changed my Christian experience for the better. Because I believe that I need to be in close community like that, like God is in the Trinity. Well said. Great minds think alike, don't they? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for revealing yourself to us through your word and through our experience. We thank you that, uh, that there are big capital T level truths out there that we can hang our hats on, that give us hope, that give us future. Um, And one of those is the reality of the Trinity. And so thank you, God, that you've existed eternally, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that that has deep implications for the way that we live our lives. God, I pray even uh, now and into this week that this may be something that's confusing, maybe something that's mysterious to us, And some of that is okay, but I pray, God, that you'd give us great grace today to understand yourself more. Pray that you'd lead us more into your word to discover more about you and how we relate to you. And I really do pray, God, that it would change the way that we live our lives. It would change the way that we relate to others. And that you'd remake us today and over these next eight weeks into the people that you'd have us to be. We'll be sure to give you credit for it in Jesus' name.